0: Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with author Laura Carroll. During our conversation, Laura talks about her books Families of Two and The Baby Matrix. She reflects on what she has learned from couples who have chosen not to have children, the reasons they have done so, and the societal pressure many of them have faced when encountering pronatalism. Welcome to the show. We're with author Laura Carroll, author of multiple books about people who choose not to have children. Um, she's written The Baby Matrix, her recent, her most recent book, um, and has written also Families of Two. And Laura, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, so thank you for being here. My pleasure. And I want to start a little bit by just sort of talking about your, your background a little bit and learning about how you came to be interested in these topics generally Were you Do you grow up in the Bay Area Is that where you originally are from Or did you come uh, no, from elsewhere No okay.
1: um, I grew up uh, I was born in the Midwest And uh, moved around a lot As a kid And our family found themselves in Southern California When I was about 11 And um, so I went to You know Junior high school And high school Landed in the Bay Area When I was in graduate school Yeah Met the man that I ended up marrying mm-hmm. In the Bay Area And Um at about the 10-year mark of our marriage, we decided we weren't going to have children. But at about the 10-year mark, you know, we were cruising along. We were happy and everything. But I started to question, you know, what what is it that makes couples really go the distance, like 25 years, 30 years, et cetera? And <clears throat> what is it that if couples don't do the parenthood thing as part of that, you know, what is making these marriage long time marriages work? Right. So I went to the bookstore and I looked for a book like that and I did not find it. So I decided crazily to do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and in those days, the internet was nothing like it is today. So I advertised in newspapers and in uh, different magazines that I thought might draw people. And um, very quickly, my email inbox was overflowing, uh-huh. um, and, I, and with phone calls on an answering machines right. over those days, oh, yeah. Yeah. so I knew I was um, on to something, so I then had to figure out, you know, who to interview and for how long and how to dissect it down to, you know, uh, who I was going to interview the most and longest, et cetera, so it was a great process. Right.
0: Tell us about the book. What what, what were your goals when you set out to write it, and what was what was the experience like? What, tell me about the, the people that you met during during the process? Were they eager to talk?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, people would leave messages in all variety of forms saying, oh, my gosh, finally somebody wants to talk to us. And, oh, will this help us meet other couples, you know, in the same situation? Because we really find it hard to find friends right. um, that of, of like-minded people who are not doing parenthood. So, uh, you know, the, the popular assumption is that um, people... Marriages without children are these dinks, you know, dual income, no kids, and we've got all this disposable cash, right. a nice house, cars and stuff. And right. There are people where that's true, but I met people on the entire, you know, spectrum of socioeconomic and, mm. you know, levels um, from all over the United States. I talked to people and I uh, interviewed about a little over a hundred and then did longer interviews with about 40. Okay. And from there, just looked at some of the themes, et cetera, that were emerging. And with the help of editors, right. I sexed it down to 15 couples that best represented what we heard, what we learned, and also that, um, that spread of lifestyle, et cetera. So I have people and families of two from uh, a woman who was a nanny okay. and was married to a blacksmith. And at that time, you know, pretty much living month to month in a rural area of the United States to a high-powered lawyer in New York City living, you know, on the Upper West Side, et cetera. So it was, it was the gamut um, of all different lifestyles.
0: Did they all seem to mention that they had received some degree of backlash for the decision not to have kids regardless of where they sort of were on the economic uh, ladder in the country?
1: I think some would use the word backlash, but others, I think, uh, used uh, a lot the word that they were misunderstood. Mm. And no matter what they said or how they tried to explain it to friends or loved ones, people just never got them. Mm. Um, and so they uh, found it often difficult to find like-minded people to become friends with. Um, and I think that's changed now these days, but back then um, they were... I like to I think I wrote this too, that they were really sailing in the tributaries. And um so I think my book actually helped this the topic at that time just get out full front and center for people to go, Oh, really you can do that. Right. What is that? And right. why do you do that? Right. Um, so it really was a nice way to you know get it into the media.
0: I think I I read that the big the the major theme of all the people who decided not to have kids was that they simply just weren't interested. It wasn't something that they felt compelled to do for whatever reason. Yeah. And and so they made that decision. Was that as they were the older couples who had more time to think about that choice generally I don't know more reflective on that decision and did any of them seem to conclude that this was absolutely the right choice for them, or were there were there doubts generally when, when people were a little bit older and didn't have kids?
1: You know, I think I uh, targeted people who were pretty sure in their minds to begin with, so one of my uh, criterion was that the couples needed to be married at least 10 years, okay. and also um, be sure about their decisions, so whatever... Contemplation occurred before I really talked with them. Now, the older couples, Interestingly, I felt like they—they pretty much knew, and they together had to kind of come up with their game plan about how they were going to deal with society that was much harder on them. You know, in the fifties, etc. It was seen as very strange. Um, Whether it be back then, they initially may have lied and said that they were having trouble having kids, etc. When really that was not the case. Uh, but then, over time, I think uh, many people, you know, they're just independent-minded, and as they got older, like, I don't care what people think, I'm just going to blast out there and, right. you know, just be be true about it, right. not not lie.
0: Where are the roots of that? That is, it's still so palpable I think, in this country that you are expected, if you are in a relationship, if you get married, that inevitably you're going to be having kids Historically, where does that where does that come from in your research? Why is it that America is that way?
1: Not just America; it's uh, you know pretty much Christian society, or you know a, very, a lot of different religions. But um, well, when I was researching the baby matrix, um, one of the areas I looked at that intensely, and uh, it it goes back to you know social and cultural conditioning called pronatalism, which that's what the whole book is about. Um, And looking at the system of beliefs that have fueled this, we're supposed to have kids. And in in addition to that is, you know, marriage and parenthood go together. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, uh, it goes back a long, long ways. And only until birth control started has it become to really separate. As soon as we couples have the choice on whether to reproduce, some of that name list they have to go together started to break down and even right. religious scholars agree with that.
0: Right. Um, the people who ended up not having kids who you ended up talking to and getting to know relatively well, what are the perks? Why what what, are, what, are, what as they as they you know, as if they were to talk to, to a young couple who is recently married who is considering the same path that they took of not having children, what what would they say in retrospect are things that was a, a big asset to their life. The, was it the money? Was it the time? What What were the things that they gained by by making that decision? Of, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to have. We want to have children together.
1: Well, I think I would start with um, what the biggest thing they gain is that they, if it's really true for them, and that's really what they want, then they're able to to live true to themselves. Right. And I think that's what's most important in the end. All the other stuff sort of falls out from that. Right. So. You know, yes, um, if you play your cards right together, you can maybe have a bit more financial security, but that's not a guarantee. You might right. have more money to invest and then lose when the stock market goes, you know, to, to hand, in hand gasket. a right. But um, so many couples talk about that they're, they have more of an opportunity for um, financial stability. Uh, they create plans to try to retire early mm-hmm. uh, in a financially comfortable fashion. And uh, I know one thing I've experienced myself is that um, in a marriage, it really has allowed us to um, focus on our relationship more. A lot of my friends who have had kids say that kids can become this distraction, that if you have issues, it can be difficult to, to really address them head on. And to, to avoid that, you can just get interested in the kids and focus on the kids. And then when the kids leave... There you are, sitting across from each other going, uh, we have all these issues we haven't dealt with. And I think a lot of couples end up getting divorced when they become empty nesters because they haven't put their relationship first for a long time. Right. So as a couple without children, um, it's really hard to avoid stuff that you need to work out um, for very long. Now, you can still avoid it. We can, you know, we can work too much or... Do something else to 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 be that distraction, but kids are a big distraction. So
0: Your friends that have kids and they know that you've written these books and they (laughs) are they're you know, they they know that this is part of who you are. Do you, you know, after a few glasses of wine, do you ever (laughs) hear them say, you know, I kinda wish we would have done what you're doing? Or do across the board are most of your friends saying, you know, this was what we really wanted to do and we're happy that we We ended up having children.
1: Most of them say that, yeah. Yeah. And uh, knowing their kids, they've done a great job raising them. I'm a godmom, do a few of them. So, you know, um, I I do have uh, friends that did think long and hard about it and were on the fence for a while. And uh, they went through their own process of deciding, you know, to go over the hump and, you know, go for it and do it. Right. So...
0: For people who are on the fence, and to me this is one of the most interesting case studies, for people that are thinking maybe this is something I want to do, maybe not, I'm not sure, do you have any general advice for the for people that are kind of on the fence and uncertain? I guess maybe for people that are on the fence mostly because that's what they're expected to do, but they don't seem to have any internal Passion for raising kids. What, what would be your, your general guidance based on your research for people that are not so sure if they want to go one way or the other?
1: Well, I think the first thing is to get real clear about um, how we've been uh, influenced by our society socially and culturally to um, think that that's one thing that we should do, that's what adults do, and to really look at where where those influences came from so that you can dissect your desire from your conditioning. Right. And that's one of the main things I wanted to do with the baby matrix is to, ideally, to really help people make the most informed decision possible. And, and part of that is really understanding how have I been influenced to think. by <laughs> right. external factors, starting with my parents and et cetera. So by giving to separate, then you can sit with yourself and go, well, if if I still feel like I want to be a parent, well, what is that? What experience am I really looking for? And is that the only way to get that experience? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes really when people think about it hard, the answer is no. Now, it may still mean that Having children play a role in one's life can be can can be many different you know a lot of a lot of people I interviewed for families and two they were teachers they will they worked with kids day in and day out you know as their occupation they loved it there's many things they liked about it, but right. did they want to go home and be parents? Right. They decided no right. so So I think that's the the first thing is try to dissect out external factors as much as possible and try to just be true to what your feelings are and why you think you want this. And if you still think, yes, I do spend a lot of time with kids. And I don't just mean like go babysit your friend's kids or like eight and ten or whatever. Try to find opportunities to be around babies, toddlers, you know, elementary school, teens. You may find that one one age group you really like a lot right. and another you just go oh my god how am i going to deal with the baby right. part of this right. like when they're infants or whatever so you know uh again what it's really like 24/7 what it really will mean as uh, a lifestyle change because right. it's it it does it's a, it's a life changer forever right it 's big, and we all know that, but.
0: this pronatalism stuff <laughs> um, and, and particularly with with you, you mentioned that it's not just america it 's it's, it's in many, many places in the world yes is that bec- is that are the roots of that derived from the notion that we should be spreading Christianity? Is it really that simple that it 's more of a religious and religiously influencing culture religion influencing culture effect or is it something else? Well,
1: it goes back even farther than that. Really, I think it started with um, governments and power structures wanting to increase population, mm. and with more. Po- this is what, you know when there wasn't seven billion people on the planet. Right. I mean, the more people you had in your country or your area, the the more influential you were going to be. So, but also in those times, having children was not as easy in quotes as it is today, I mean, women died, you know, They're, I mean, it was not, it could be a real scary thing, right. so uh, governments and power structures had to, they created what we would call messaging today to romanticize parenthood, so it would influence us to have babies, and a lot of them, because, mm-hmm. you know, we may, I may need to have 13 to actually have seven survive back then, so... Right. So it was a way to um, make it sound like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be the best thing. And in some ways it was because it helped people, you know, uh, work their land and it gained society's power. And then, yes, so religion was right in that mix of uh, the more followers you had, the more powerful and influential you were. Right. And I think that's still, uh, it's, still it's, it's very true still today. We, today you could add capitalism and media and you know, corporate power all to it, but I think the theme of it is, is it's anchored in a certain um, element of control yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is where when you get right down to it, you can extrapolate that out and go well if I if I don't want that, then I got to look at parenthood and go, well, why do I want to do it anyway right if it's not that
0: right you talked about romanticism a little bit. are mm-hmm. we still doing that and if oh, totally. so what what about what about having kids do we romanticize and what should people who are on the fence be considering as being as recognizing that this notion has been romanticized for so long and get real about what well it's like?
1: one thing I think that's very romanticized is the key to fulfillment in life. It is the as in underscore the right. It's the way to become a mature adult, the way to have meaning in your life right. um, And for many people, it gives them great meaning. so it's true right. and there's a reason why it's a, you know it's a stereotype Is a word and it's so common. But the truth is, is that it's one way <laughs> to create a meaningful life. There are plenty of people out there who are parents who found meaning not through parenthood. they found right. it in a whole other way, another right. sphere of their lives. Right. So to know that the fact is, um, it's one path to fulfillment, but it's not. Romanticize. Don't romanticize it. It's the only way. Right.
0: Particularly, I would imagine when so many of the problems in the world, it, seem, it would seem to me, are the result of children not having loving parents. Right. Um, it Was that also something that you touched on, too, and something that you've seen that really, if you're going to be a parent, you need to be informed about it. You need to know it's forever, and you yeah. should probably be pretty good at it, too, and, and know right. that you have the capacity to actually love a child for its entire life.
1: Well, there's myths around that, too, that did dump down into the romanticizing of it, because I think there's the popular notion that just because we're biologically capable to have children... That we're automatically going to be good parents. Right. So there's a lot of people who have kids, the biological capacity, but really are not uh, fit right. or ready to become parents. And we tend to think, well, it'll just you'll just learn, you'll it'll work itself out, you'll get it. Right. You know, when, when, once the kid's here, you'll get it. And you read the newspaper every day. We know that that's not true. So right. I talk about that in the baby matrix under the what I call the right to reproduce okay. assumption. You know our Constitution pretty much allows us to you know reproduce it at our will, so right. that legally we, we do, but there are really a lot of costs that society pays as a result of that, and I think children end up paying really the biggest price right. so uh, a lot of comments i've gotten on on the book um, they when I start talking about how do we really prepare people to become the best parents possible. First of all, they're like, "Well, what are you talking about? That you know, you're talking, <laughs> you're a child free rider. and I'm like, "Well, this is the larger sociological context, uh, and and I do care about people we do bring into the world right. and how we parent them the best way possible." Um, and so I go in detail about what if we did parental education this way. You know, right. And so I caught some flack for like how structured that could be. Like, yeah. hey, don't don't you know, don't tell me how to raise my kids. So well, yeah. I just go. But look at all the kids, you know, who are left behind right. and you know, struggling. So,
0: talk about the policy suggestions you would have. I mean, it seems like, in I guess, in my personal experience of growing up in this country, there, there's almost no discussion about even considering this as an option. It's just sort of a foregone conclusion. If if you could be the philosopher king for a day, or if you had the control that um, that might allow for these sort of policy changes to be made, what what would you suggest as things? That you would like to see society implement, whether in higher education or public education, to address these sorts of concerns, to allow people to make informed decisions before they're before they actually are parents.
1: Well, I think we should do a much better job on teaching um, kids in high school about parenthood, and the realities of parenthood, and it's certainly not too soon for them to start thinking about their desires in this in this way how they foresee their lives and what they want out of it and um, to try to even begin to assess how good they would be at it anyway yeah what would they need to learn about themselves and skills to to really become good parents that's not too soon to do that or in college for example so now parent education really is only after the fact and when the baby's hearing like, oh, geez, what do we do? Are my kids screwing up now? What do I do to become a better parent? Right. It's putting the cart before the horse, in my opinion, in a, in a big way. And another thing um, that I discussed in the baby matrix is what if we had some kind of parent uh, certification of sorts not that it would you'd go to jail if you didn't finish it or anything but there would be incentives for you to really um, sit down and long before your you and your partner are pregnant or want to adopt that um, you go through this training or educational process to help you look at, these same things is why do i want this what skills don't i have that i know i'm going to need to have to really in the end make it for the kids so that you're you're really ready to be a good parent when the, the baby comes along right. um and then from a policy perspective i just think in our society i think it's kind of unrealistic to uh you know say you can only have so many kids you or, or to make you know the educational process so rigid that It's illegal if you don't do X, Y, Z, but I do think policies can provide incentives to complete those kinds of educational opportunities with tax breaks. And so just flip the tax breaks on their head. Don't give people tax breaks when they just are having babies. Give them the tax breaks when they... They go through a process that the odds are they're going to be better parents when they become parents, right? And That's maybe I would do.
0: maybe because it the the, the really the, the goal is informed decisions and not one decision versus another, right? Um, I guess which kind of leads me to my next question: if if do you think if people were more informed that people would be making different choices um, about whether or not to have kids? I mean, it, it seems I guess somewhat obvious that people would there are people clearly in the world who have children and they may regret it or that it may not have been a, a, a real choice for them. Do you think it would lead if, if we did adopt these sort of thoughtful policies to a healthier and maybe it's a rhetorical question, but a healthier and happier world?
1: I would think so. If people make better decisions about becoming parents and they're more conscious decisions that are not treated as automatic or something i'm just supposed to do because my church tells me to do it or my society tells me to do it Um, it's a more individually conscious decision and then putting priority on my skills for this very large life task um, and really valuing the lives of kids Mm -hmm. Um, i think that it can go a long way Mm -hmm. it really could I, i don't i don't in my lifetime i think it's it's a it's a tall order because this pronatalist machine is so powerful. Um, and we just, it's very difficult to separate out the conditioning. But I think if you can do it, um, it's an eye-opener. The people
0: that do decide not to have kids, I mean, they're like you said, they're going against this pronatalism machine. Are they all free thinkers? Like, who are these people? I mean, how, how, who has the guts to go against all the questioning of, Oh, you got married. When are you having kids? Then do they do they seem to have certain personality traits that are common among them? Are they courageous people or just overly thoughtful people or maybe none of the above?
1: One thing I found across the board, across lifestyles, and again, um, you know, rich people, poor people, and everything in between, is they um, were pretty independent minded. Mm. There's a level of you know, caring what other people think, but not to the extent where um, it's going to make their lives be something they don't want it to be. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that independent spirit was really, really common. um, To be willing to go against the tide, Mm -hmm. whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of those that kind of trait showed up in Mm -hmm. their lives, you know, before their decision Mm -hmm. to have kids. So it takes, I think in today's society, it still takes some courage to do it because you have to be ready to explain, not be understood. And, you know, they're the myths that we all read about over and over and over again. Hopefully they've been slammed at us so many times. We know they're not true, but there was certainly, you know, a decade ago we believe all kinds of things about people who didn't have kids. It just aren't true. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, Are there are there people or people that we may already know, I mean, I guess Oprah comes to mind, I mean, famous people that everyone in the U.S. and a lot of people in the world would know about that for people that do decide not to have kids that they can sort of point to as a role model or someone who has spoken about their decision consciously not to have children as sort of a resource for Learning and, and realizing that you know I could do that you know, they've done it I can do it too.
1: I wish more famous in quotes people would talk at in at length about it. Um, I think what we see yeah, are little blurbs, or there'll be you know Katie Krug will do a a show, and a little bit will be discussed um, with. The good news is with, you know, academics who can speak to it in a very in- intelligent way, et cetera. But, um, you know, Oprah's interviewed, been interviewed about it, and she's been very forthcoming about how if she was a mom, it would it, her, her kids would be impacted just by her life. You know, it would not be good for the child. Right. Um I think more famous people talking about it like that would be would be very helpful. Right. So So I think there's still a little of the, they just don't want to, they don't want to go there. Yeah. They the have meat, a lot the, to lose. The media likes the baby bump messaging better.
0: Right. Is that because it just sells better? I mean, there are baby <laughs> products so. to be sold and it's that oh, simple yeah. that there's an economic oh, incentive yeah. to advertise. Oh, yeah. Right. I
1: mean. To make, you know, the, the big wards of the hospital for the, you know, super delivery. I mean, you know, the products and services are just, just limitless. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about people that do make that decision. Are, is it generally easier for people who are in, we're in the Bay Area now, is it easier for people who are in big cities because they're connected, they can find other people that have also made this decision, other couples that have made this decision? Or does it really not particularly matter where you are in in the world or in the country?
1: I found them in the country, in the burbs, in cities. I found them everywhere, really. Um, But uh, if I had to generalize, I would say um, we find them more in urban areas. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I have theories about that, but, you know, maybe more progressive mindsets. But then there are larger urban areas that were more conservative, and they're there, too. So. It's just uh, where are people that uh, have the of the the courage and enough bravery to carve out the life that they want for themselves. Right. And so you know, and find it here.
0: is it is it generally harder for people who are in rural Alabama to yes. exist like that than it would be to live in San Francisco like that?
1: Yes, and I get emails and communications with people I have over the years um, that people find life difficult yeah. in many respects. Yet. Their jobs keep them there, their families keep them there, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there are different areas it's more difficult. I think here it's probably a little bit easier. <laughs> <would be> <laughs> so. um,
0: one last thing I wanted to talk about with the baby matrix. So I, one of the objectives of the book seems to be to, to begin to have a conversation about these topics and to potentially change the way that people who, who decide not to have kids are viewed culturally are we making progress, and if so, why are we making progress, and how can we continue to to make progress there?
1: I think we've made a lot of progress since Families of Two came out, and largely because of uh, the digital age, mm-hmm. um, because of the internet. You know; people have been a- people with, who've made this choice have been able to find each other, right. for starters, and they've created communities. And I'm sure, as you've seen, there's a lot been written about this choice. Some myths, some not. Mm. But yet, there's more people in in the the conversation to demystify and to speak what's true. And um, so, I think we've made good progress. We still have a little ways to go. Mm. Um, I still think people uh, don't totally accept it yet. But um, I, I think we're we're on our way.
0: Great. Thank you very much for coming on the show, I really appreciate
1: it. My pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com.